This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The Property Show on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Good morning. You're tuned in to The Property Show, our weekly take on all things property-related, and I'm Philip C. On today's Property Show, as we straddle between Merdeka and Malaysia Day, I speak to Hood Baka and Ahmad Farid Baharudin from RSP Architects on Malaysian-inspired architecture. I'm sure as you drive into the city centre, you see so many beautiful cityscapes taking place, and we ask and wonder ourselves, how is Malaysian design inspiring our cityscape? A very good morning to you, Hood and Farid. How are both of you keeping? We're doing fine, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Very good morning, Phil, and yeah. your listeners. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, we are both okay. Now, Hood, let me just ask you straight up. When you look at our cityscape, right, how much of Malaysia is infused in our broader built architecture? I think uh, if you look at the uh, Malaysian architecture buildings, of course, there's hundreds, if not thousands of buildings. And uh, not all of the buildings are actually uh, has the Malaysian infused architecture, so to speak. I think most of them that is infused by the Malaysian architecture tend to be more of the larger buildings, uh, at least for the visual impact of it. But apart from the visual impact, there's also other other influences, for instance, the, the Malaysian comfort and climate and so on. Those are more being infused in in the, the, the Malaysian building context rather than the, the look of the Malaysian architecture in general. Yeah? Now, I'll give an example, for instance, the Menara Maybank. Uh, we all know that at that time, it was the symbolism of the grace. Petronas Twin Tower was done based on the Islamic uh, geometry. It's a rotated uh, square. Islam square is part of our geometry. When you rotate it and you extrude it out, suddenly it looks very Islamic, uh, cleverly. So that's one. And then also, for instance, the Telkom Malaysia, which we call it the Puchok Rabong, mm. which is also Malaysian. Yeah. Now, these are all visually influenced uh, of Malaysian architecture in the building. But and then very, again, there also are the buildings, for instance, like our Jakim in Putrajaya and Manara Bank Islam in Jalan Tun Perak. That one is visual, but it takes the cue from the, the, the spirit of Islamic uh, mm. architecture. And uh, we also did the MyTech building in Jalan Duta, where actually we use rubber seed to inspire us, which is also Malaysian per se, because rubber is our yep. major uh, industry crop. So we use that uh, to inspire us to, to come up with the form of the uh, building. I find it very interesting how you make the point that it's really the larger buildings where you see the facade but across the board, you of course have designs that try to adapt to the Malaysian environment, right? And that's quite more pervasive, I think, across the cityscape. So I want to bring Farid into the picture here. You know, when I ask you the broader philosophical question is what is, you know, Malaysian architecture I guess, you know, and does it, and kind of who was applying to it really reflect or embed certain symbols that we are very much fondly attached to. For example, like the flora and fauna, like the Bunga Raya, or even prolific figures like our founding father, Tunku Abdul Rahman. Yeah, so if you take this other example, this building that we are also involved in, Madeka 108, where the historical event that took place in 1957, you know, this was infused in the design, in the architecture. So as you know, Stadium Madeka was where Tunku Abdul Rahman raised his hand and declared our independence. The design of the tower is a symbolic, abstract silhouette of and his head gesture when he declared Merdeka, Merdeka, Merdeka. If you look at it, the spire on the tower is actually that symbol 
of his hand. So you need to be able to understand and infuse local context or local environment or local flavor into some of the, especially the the more uh, iconic buildings. If I may add to that, Phil, I think the word is uh, also to me is uh, anything that is Malaysian is Malaysian. Uh, example, flora and fauna like you mentioned, it was mentioned just now, our culture, religion, our history, the people, even food can be inspired, you know, can be used as inspiration for uh, uh, architecture. So it actually goes beyond sometimes uh, what you know, what people normally see. Uh, we designers, architects, we think deeper, tend to think deeper than that. And this is how we bring or get inspired to design uh, these buildings for us. I love the reference you make that everything Malaysian is Malaysia to a certain extent. It's very simple, but I guess it has a deeper perspective. But even Fari, you made a very interesting point that especially the symbolism also needs to take into account the local context and culture. So as the example with 118, the site is also where Stadium Merdeka is, isn't it? That's also what makes it very unique and special when you think about the silhouette and design of 118. Yes, correct. I mean, it is. We need to understand basically the the culture and the local context behind any of the project that we embark in. But who you know, cynics will say that all these are just vanity projects, right? Which really do little to inspire us. And, you know, one can even challenge that perhaps we need architects and designers to help us reshape our identity of the future and not borrow from the past. All right. I think it's important to know the past also shape our future. We must have a past before we can move to the move forward to the future. But the, the thing is, I think we should not borrow literally from what we had or what, or what we, we had before. Rather, we should actually have, uh, should capture the spirit of the past. And by then, then you can shape the, 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 the building or the form for the building that you're building for the future. So it's important to have the past as your base per se. Um, and also for any country, they need to have an identity. It's not just vanity, I think. It's important for any country for everyone for that matter to have their own identity so architecture is going to be there uh, forever you know so the architecture is what we see when you go to any city so it's important to have the architecture to reflect a bit of sense of belonging of that, that, that country Malaysia being Malaysia other country being other country and so on and so forth and not to just we Malaysian literally borrowed other country the West for instance to bring here it may not suit our culture our image or even our climate for that matter you know so we must have a bit of pride a sense of pride and it must be unique and special of who we are if it's not inspiring if you say if it's not inspiring the least it will do is actually to tell you who you are as an image. Mm. I think that's important. And architects has, has a role in that, in translating this into buildings. It got me thinking very loud that perhaps the past identities helps us also shape new identities going forward. You know, you give the example of KLCC where it was a very basic Islamic motif, but then you rotate it out, becomes a very beautiful building that comes off it. By design, that creates a new identity So also in the process, isn't it? The identities in the past can also help us shape and create new identities for the future. That's right. Yeah, it's true. But Patronas is that. Uh, I'll give another example. One more project we're doing now is the uh, cybernetic, uh, call it the National Neuro Robotic and Cybernetic Rehab Center in Ipoh. A very interesting one of its kind, one of the most advanced uh, rehab center that we have in our country, whereby we get our inspiring inspiration from Tekat textile motif or the orchid flowers mm. of the past, the royal family, in this case in Perak. From there, we get the massing of the, uh, of the uh, facilities, you know. 
And apart from that, the facade of the uh, the building uh, is also is shaped after bunga lawang, which is also a pair of uh, flower and in Malaysian for that uh, at large. So from there, we are inspired and we we, we shape the, the the look of the building, the, the facade of it, the, the screen by abstracting the bunga lawang. Uh, shape and then we cover the, the whole building with this and I so, mean I've seen those pictures and it is a very beautiful building and it for me it's very explicit it's very obvious when I see it right I can see the Malaysian element very much you know reflected and proudly shown you know in, in how it's built but on the flip side sometimes there are sometimes concerns that the design is a bit too subtle and that the, the national identity doesn't intuitively reveal itself you know and some would say that's a bit of a concern with 118 you know many would have seen it just as a normal glass tower unlike you know the beautiful silhouette of our of our our founding prime minister right so it really needs you to understand the narrative and the story behind it isn't it right farid yeah it is it is very subtle you know you don't want a building especially when it comes to a very iconic structure building to be very over glaring you know uh, uh, with intricate design, you know, like the Roman Corinthians and all that. You know, we do not want those to be incorporated. I mean, it's not part and parcel of our nation identity anyway. So it has to be a bit more simplistic. Sometimes subtleties is important in the design. Subtlety can be represented uh, by an abstract form. So, I mean, you do not want to put a statue of Tango Raman uh, uh, right there, right? So you can say that the subtlety is elegant and like what we mentioned you know, about, about our national tower, is based on Islamic geometry. Its form and design is very elegant. So you can say that the narrative behind the design of Malika 118 uh, Tower represents the human figure, the abstract silhouette of Tanku Abraman. And also the faceted crystalline design of the facade was inspired by our traditional kind songke. So all these various elements was literally and cleverly infused in the architecture. Yeah, I think that's where the infusion is, right? How you need to cleverly infuse all these elements in. And that's why I think we have to understand and contrast perhaps the examples of the in-your-face kind of designs which we tend to focus on on the f- facade versus those projects that subtly infuse the national symbols, elements and characters. Can you give me some examples or projects that contrast both of these tail and opposite ends of the spectrum? I think... Like Farid mentioned just now, you know, subtlety is to me uh, as an architect, to us as an architect, I think it's very elegant. Apart from that, I think subtlety also gives you the sense of progressive. You know, you're looking at something new from something to the past. Now, versus the more in-your-face kind of design, I think a simple example, Roman columns. Roman columns is definitely not us, not Malaysian, you know. So, But we see a lot of buildings that are using Roman columns, especially houses and so on and so forth. I think uh, there are other ways of... uh, doing uh, columns which is more us rather than just we just uh, go and uh, uh, copy literally what they have over there in Rome uh, for that matter even to some extent the French windows nothing wrong with French windows except when you compare to our climate where we are more uh, inclined to natural ventilation we open up our houses to bring in the, uh, the the light and also the air ventilation versus in Europe where it's cold you need to have small windows and apart from that, they even break the window into smaller pieces. So so that the, the heat inside does not, you know, uh, disappear to the outside. So this kind of thing uh, is very subtle, but it is Malaysian. Big open windows, uh, uh, what do you call this, uh, storm blinds, for instance, you know, sun shading, verandas. 
These are all Malaysian versus those European one is different, you know. Yeah. And then we have the other, uh, the extreme like what you mentioned just now, we mentioned also the one more subtle one, like the Petronas Twin Tower. If one look at it and not knowing what we're talking about, it still look beautiful. But if they know the meaning behind it, it's even more beautiful. Yeah. And that what makes the uh, architecture different than just another building. To me, architecture is a building, is an art, whereas a building is just a building. Uh, I think as architect, this country, we need to have that uh, uh, all the time but we understand not all building has that capability to do that but never mind at least all of us whether the professional and the local the Malaysian itself has pride in our nation and let's move forward in architecture you know in that we are not Roman columns and French windows we'll have more from Hood and Farid after these messages stay with us BFM 89.9 welcome back you're tuned in to the property show on the morning run I'm Philip C and with me today is Hood Abu Bakar and Amit Farid Baharudin from RSP Architects as we celebrate Malaysia Day. We talk about Malaysian-inspired architecture. You know, Farid, can I just get your perspective? How do you reconcile the economic and efficiency requirements of the building versus incorporating all these elements, which, you know, these Malaysian design elements, which, you know, at times can be viewed as very inefficient, right, in terms of delivering economic output? This element is always a guide. We need to try, as an architect, we need to try our very best to design buildings very efficiently. And the form is important, especially in mega, mega, mega projects. You know? So, but the, it must be practical in a sense, uh, efficient, and most importantly, it must be, it must have, uh, must make economic sense. So we go through that engineering process, you know, especially for the tower. We went through, uh, we conduct wind tunnel tests, select the right type of materials, especially for the facade glazing. We use double glazing. Uh, uh, for information for better sound and heat insulation and incorporate of course uh, sustainability, sustainability features you know, which is important some of these uh, sustainability features is also a requirement requirement by the local authorities yeah so I guess that's that's one of the the, the, the challenges you have right trying to find that balance between that and that's why I always wonder when, when people do these kind of projects really who has the appetite for these national visually inspired buildings Buildings. You know, because the sense I get, right, Hood, is that the focus really are more the local government entities and agencies that are willing to do this as opposed to the multinationals and corporates. Well, if you talk about the government uh, projects, uh, yes, I mean, uh, it's important to have, especially the big one, yes, it's important to have this uh, Malaysian identity to it. But I think beyond that, uh, let's not underestimate because even the private developers, where many private developers are doing big jobs. And uh, even though sometimes they do not force us or, or, or tell us to do the so-called Malaysian action, it is our duty, I think, and responsibility as a Malaysian architect that we want to, to, to infuse this. Malaysian uh, identity into our buildings. It's just natural, you know, being who we are, we are here and we, have, we take pride of the building, especially the big one, where it's going to be that tall and strong and so on. So we, we make sure in our office that we actually infuse that, even without the client instruction for us to begin uh, to, for us to, to do that. And I think uh, there is actually a growing appetite in Malaysia for this. You can see by the day, everybody talk, what is Malaysian architecture? What is Malaysian architecture? Is it Minangkabau? roof is it what 
the answer to that to me is there's is not one visually inspired look. Not I mean a not necessarily. Like that's what I meant is now whatever is Malaysian is Malaysian. It could be the culture, it could be the you know climate, it could be uh, even in Agama for that matter. But it's just that it doesn't have to be just literally there, you know. So um, no, not necessarily just government. Even private developers are also uh, moving towards. They also take pride in it. And when you when you hear conversations with your customers, right, and clients about Malaysian design architecture, I'm just wondering out loud: Are they looking at more like the broad national identity kind of forms, or are they very lent or interested in state-driven kind of designs, or even something closer to their own locale or community? Right. At what level is the identity? most importantly translated or required or demanded from? Uh, I think it is it is actually a learning process because arts is not something very literal and not everybody understand art. So it is important, I think, for us in this industry to slowly, maybe perhaps by generation, to change the mindset of people, you know, that Malaysian architecture not necessarily has to be Minangkabau, you know. Mm-hmm. It is actually, it's actually deeper than that. It is, like I said, our climate, our culture and so on. And then this, this landmark building, they are visually uh they visually they have this Malaysian uh, architecture infused in it, in in it, in it but there's also a lot of the buildings that's engaging other local influences into the building which is also Malaysian mm. it may not look it may not look like a crest it may not look like anything that you've seen but actually by the spirit of it by the mm. presence of it there uh responding to the the, the the surrounding the immediate surrounding the immediate culture the immediate whatever that makes it also Malaysian let's now talk about implementation because I think for like a mega project like 118 for sure you know there will be a lot of discussions and engagements with international global multinational you know contractors designers architects going forward right I wonder how easy is it for them to understand the nuances of these local designs you know and Farid what's your experience like you know when you talk when you collaborate with global international you know partners when you do these huge construction outfits and plans well it's not a straightforward process Uh, I wouldn't say it's completely easy. But architecture is universal uh, and it can be applied to any environment. When we we embark on uh, any project, regardless of the location, we need to understand the local culture, the environment of the country in order for it to become specific in that context. So all this, I mean, for this project, for example, we have like 40 uh, international local consultants working on the project various traits, various expertise and so forth. So obviously, there must be some extensive research which is required. And um, at the end of the day, I guess it's, a, it's just a matter of exchanging our knowledge and ideas. So it's like a knowledge transfer you know, for both parties, you know, between us and of course the international players and between us and of course the client. It's always a give and take. It's always a learning process for all of us. Yeah, it's a fair point. You know, I think in anything, it's all about communication, isn't it? It's about having that engagement and the engagement upfront to help you bridge all these differences and misunderstandings fair? Yes, it is. And plus also I think the one more point is that I think when these people, they're not from here, uh, when they look at our culture, it's interesting to see how they look at things from outside the box, you know. And when they look at it from outside the box, sometimes it does bring some uh, new influences, a new way yeah. of thinking, of looking at things. Yeah. This is a very interesting thing. Yeah, yeah, because our identity evolves all the time. And, and as we conclude, I want to ask both of you this question because, you know, when you embark on all these projects, I'm sure you you invest so much energy, time and passion in it and it comes out to be your certain extent a baby, right? So you must be very proud when, you know, huge momentous projects 
like one only come out and are being delivered and executed. But does it sometimes concern you that when you hand over the project, that sometimes the building is not used to what its original intended goals or desires were, or perhaps it's not even compatible with the broader goals and aspirations of the country? You know, how do you both as architects kind of dissociate and, you know, separate yourself between the work you do now versus what the utility of the building is next time? I think we, we one must understand that when we design building, we always start with the function first. You know, we always start building with the usage of the building first. And from the function, then we get the form, if you will. And this form is where we get inspiration from the so-called demolition architecture to get the building into its shape or its, its look. And, and then the form, the look that we look for is something that we believe that it should reflect our Malaysian identity. So it's actually one after another. Function is always first form and form let's choose something that's more Malaysian identity, right? Hmm. So now when these buildings built, uh, most of the time, because if we started with their function first, 99% of the time will be used as per what it was intended for. Except for one building that I remember that I've done throughout my 30 years career, which they started with something and then at the end they will use it for something else. Mm-hmm. You know, it was adapted for something else used in Trajaya, one of the uh, public facilities there. But but the rest, uh, uh, because we started with a function, so it'll, there's no problem that at the end it will be used. But there's also a lot of repurposing of building now that you see old building that the offices move and then it be changed into hotel and by you know, those are going on also. But every time this this not a repurpose of the building going through, there'll be a lot more things to be looked at, including some extent the look of the building from outside. So it always relates, and it's very uh, rare that we find a building is disassociated from the look and the function it was intended for. Yeah, like what was uh, said, you know, the the building, the form follows the function, and vice versa. So you need to be able from day one when you do the design, understand the function, and we design the form. So like and and and. There are a lot of buildings in town now where they've been repurposed, they've been changed in terms of its usage and all that. And that can be very costly. So once you take a building, let's say an office tower, for example, a 10-story building, and you turn it into a hospital, just imagine you know, the amount of intricacy, amount of work that you need to change, the m aspects and all that, and even the physical uh, planning within that uh, uh, design have to be relooked by the same time. So because of that, the cost... We'll go up. I think, Phil, I think maybe I should add here a very interesting building that we did, the MACC building in Putrajaya. Mm. I got comments, you can see comments on Instagram, it looked like Star Wars, it looked like some ship about to sail away from us, all kind of thing, you know? Yeah. That is a classic example for us of a form that follows function. That building is very complex in terms of the security level, from low, medium to very high security. Mm. And, and you can see the, the form is unique in a way, with a tall leg and so on. It's, it's also because of that. And the form is actually following the function of the building. Then come about all the other story that public look at and says some 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 nice you know some some nice words some not so nice but but it stands you know it stands there it becomes a landmark there in Putrajaya you know form follows function that's all the time we have for today thank you so much Hood and Farid on today's property show I had the privilege of speaking to Hood Baka and Ahmad Farid Baharudin from RSP Architects as we celebrate Malaysian inspired architecture between Malaysia Day and Merdeka Day we have the 10am news bulletin coming up next followed by Enterprise BFM 89.9 The Property Show on BFM 89.9 The Business Station
You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.